All right, welcome back, guys. I hope you enjoyed all of those episodes. Gosh, two and a half months or so of music and the countercultures that were created because of the music. If you missed any of the episodes, check them out. They are the last 10. So wherever you get your podcasts, download them and listen and have some fun learning about the various cultures that music created and, of course, the culture, the music that the cultures created. Uh, all right, it's time to move on to on a different tangent here, guys. Uh, welcome in to Krause's Corner. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Dirk Krause. I am your host. And as always, we are sponsored by Piano and Guitar Institute. You can find them on the web and all of the social platforms. They've got amazing tuition specials. So be sure to check them out, especially if you're interested in learning how to play the piano or the guitar. All right, so what we're gonna do today is um, we're gonna go kind of sideways from uh, some of the topics that we've talked about in the past. Um, but something that I frequently get asked as a piano teacher is who is your favorite composer or, or who is uh, like the, the the best composer or whatever. And there's so many different ways to answer that. And so what we're gonna do tonight is we are going to talk about a handful of composers, all of whom changed the world. Okay, there are four of them. There are four composers uh, and you can give an honorable mention to a fifth. Uh, but these four composers absolutely change the world they are the big four if you will um and let's start just by the very brief history okay let's go all the way back to laying and imperiton 11 and 12th century and um gregorian chant okay um you have this gregorian chant sort of stuff going around they could, there's various types there's parallel there's there's a free organum there's they're uh, it's they're singing in fifths and all sorts of fun stuff right well, that moves along and we fast forward now up into the, uh, I don't know, medieval time period where they've got masses being produced um, and there's polyphonic masses, there's monophonic masses and music is really starting to evolve and to become something. Um, Palestrina was one of the biggies. He made a 12 or composed a 12 voiced mass. Um, and that was the resurgence of polyphony in the church. Um, but I want to fast forward even past that because Leon and Periton certainly changed the world. Palestrina changed the world. But more importantly, let's go all the way to 1685. Um, a handful of composers were actually born in that year, uh, but one um, very important composer who was born that year, Johann Sebastian Bach. Absolutely. You cannot have any music today in 2021 without having Bach in our world. Okay. What made Bach so amazing was not only the sheer volume of things he composed, <clears throat> but just how incredibly perfect everything he composed was. He did not necessarily think uh, from the standpoint of chords. Bach wrote linearly. In other words, he wrote all of these melodic lines and they had rules and they fit together with intervals like sixths and thirds. And believe it or not, the perfect fourth and the perfect fifth weren't really allowed. Of course, he figured out a way to make them 
happen, but these those intervals, perfect fifths were safe for cadences. And of course the octave and the unison was at the end of the song, but he would write these two part inventions, three part symphonias, four voice fugues. He wrote a 10 voice fugue. I mean, it is ridiculous when you think about what he did and every single one of these voices or melody lines would work together and coincide in harmony, pardon the pun, but coincide in harmony with one another. Um, and every single interval is a sixth or a third, or according to some counterpoint rule, um, there was a reason that that particular interval worked and every single note was accounted for. Um, it was, it's just ridiculous when you think about everything that he did and everything that he composed and how it all fits together. And it's kind of dumbfounding when you take apart some of his, uh, fugues and you look at all of the intervals inside of that, like, oh my God, did he do this on purpose? Did he write all of these, uh, voices, all of these melody lines separately, and then just piece them together like a puzzle. Uh, it's just, it's awesome when you think about how he composed. And so Mr. Bach absolutely changed the world, uh, composing a lot of harpsichord works. Of course, he did all of his um, uh, vocal works as well, but um, he absolutely got the keyboard world uh, turned upside down. And there were other keyboard composers at the time. If you look at like Domenico Scarlatti, uh, his music, as fantastic as it is, was quite simplistic compared to that of Bach. Then you can probably guess the next one that changed the world is Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. You got it. And he wrote for the pianoforte. Still no pedals. Well, some of them had pedals. Um, but the pianoforte, of course, was the first in keyboard instrument that could do louds and softs, right? So Mozart, well, what was so incredibly special about Mozart? Well, Mozart took those rules that Bach implemented, the, all the intervals and the counterpoint and, and all of that stuff. And he then, Mozart broke the rules a little bit further. He took all this very, very traditional sounding uh, music and made it just a little out there, a little, a little different. He took a few notes and replaced them with non-chord tones. Uh, and just went hogwire just to really make the music, in his opinion, more interesting. He used this thing called Alberti bass. Um, he was not afraid to use non-chord tones. He was not afraid to use uh, a few more dissonant tones in his uh, passages. But what he did is he pushed the limits of when you were allowed to play fourths and fifths and, and seconds and sixths, okay, or uh, seconds and sevenths. So Mozart just pushed the boundaries a little bit. And again, with the sheer volume of his work, I mean, he only lived from 56, 1756 to 1791. And he composed all of this, these amazing operas. His operas are fantastic. His piano sonatas are ridiculously fantastic. Um, all of his works are absolutely wonderful and if you have never listened to mozart well you should go find something i strongly encourage the magic flute um opera the, those are just just wonderful his string quartets are second to none maybe to uh haydn i don't know there's an argument there um but again <clears throat> in the classical time period 
much like Bach had a contemporary in Scarlatti, uh, Mozart had a contemporary in Haydn. And of course, every one of these composers excelled, um, but who really was the one that excelled the most? It was Mozart. If you look at Haydn's piano sonatas uh, or Haydn's uh, symphonies, they are really uh, pretty simplistic when you look at it, when you compare them to Mozart. Um, Mozart even has a uh, string quartet called the Dissonant Quartet. I don't know if that's a 21st, 20th century, 20th century name or if he called it that. But if you are unfamiliar with Mozart's Dissonant Quartet, I strongly encourage you to listen to it. You will think you're listening to 20th century classical music, something like a Scriabin or uh, something even later. It's just absolutely amazing. And he wrote it in the 1700s. So anyways, we go from Bach, we move into Mozart, the classical world now. Let's go to the next one who altered the universe with his fire, with his passion, with his compositions. And obviously you know who I'm talking about, Ludwig von Beethoven. Yes, Beethoven, he added instruments. Uh, it was the fifth symphony, I believe, that first used trombones. Uh, one of his symphonies had up to 32 violins. Um, and so he not only altered and pushed the limits from a harmonic standpoint, a lot of um, augmented six chords. He used um, the fully diminished chord to much more extent than other people did. Um, and the fully diminished chord, of course, just destroys any sort of tonality. Um, and you can find his fully diminished chords. They go back to back to back and he makes them sound like home base. And it's just absolutely incredible the way he uses the fully diminished chord. But it's also, he uses, um, it's just bigger. Uh, his symphonies were huge. The trombone, the extra violins, all the extra people that were part of that. His concertos, his third concerto, piano concerto is just a fantastic work of art. If you haven't ever listened to it, you need to. Um, so he then took the boundaries that Mozart set and then set a new set of rules. He created a whole new set of rules, new set of harmonies, um, and went even further into, at the time, was very dissonant sounding music. And then lastly, the fourth person, oh, the, the contemporary, Beethoven had lots of contemporaries. Beethoven, um, early 1800s, um, obviously he was a contemporary of Mozart. Um, who else lived in the early 1800s? Uh, gosh, I can't even think of any right now, but yeah, he had early 1800s, lots of contemporaries. And then lastly, we've got uh, Johannes Brahms. Yes, uh, as much as I don't like Brahms music, I strongly encourage you to listen to a handful of his uh, piano intermezzos. His symphonies are amazing. Um, I'm just not a huge fan because he then took the Beethoven rules and went a little further. Now, I have been lucky enough to know quite a few people who absolutely adore Brahms. So that being said, I strongly encourage you to listen to a couple of Brahms piano pieces, find a, a piano quintet of his. Uh, his piano intermezzos are just fantastic. I've played a couple of those. Um, his symphonies, his everything are just, just wonderful if you're a Brahms fan. If you can wrap your head around 
what Brahms does. Now he stayed true to the traditional uh, style or the traditional sound. However, Brahms moved into even more dissonant uh, tones using diff uh, separate scales at times. And the biggest thing Brahms then did to alter the world was his music was even bigger than Beethoven, if you can believe that. Uh, think Wagner and his ring cycle, how big that is. Brahms was huge uh, from a aural standpoint. In other words, they didn't have electricity then, but his the volume on his music was enormous. The dissonant tones really stood out, and he went for he went for the home run hit every single time. Uh, and if you can listen to a few Brahms uh, melodies and 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 get your uh, brain wrapped around that, that would be good for you. I have struggled to really enjoy Brahms over the years, but that doesn't mean you can't. He is an amazing composer. He absolutely took the rules and the regs of Beethoven, and he took it one step further. So you got the Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, Brahms, the big four, and each one basically took the rules of the previous and went a little bit further, just kept pushing the envelope to see what exactly could be done. And now I mentioned at the beginning, there would be an honorable mention because I do believe that in the early 1900s, there was a composer, uh, I believe he lived in France and he was doing some pretty cool stuff. Uh, the movement at the time was Impressionism, and I'm talking about Claude Debussy. This dude, oh my gosh, his piano works. He has got his, his string stuff. Uh, everything was just, just awesome. But he really made use of the whole tone scale. He really made use of modes versus the major and the minor scales. And he really, with Impressionism, if you don't know what impressionism is, it is where you take your artwork and you make it appear to do something or be something. And he has a piano song called The Sunken Cathedral um, that is amazing. If you listen to it, I've actually had the privilege of teaching it and performing it. And the whole purpose is you make the piano convey a cathedral coming up out of the ground, having its glory days, and then it goes back into the ground. And it is, oh my gosh, it's just awesome. Another another one here was uh, Prelude to the Afternoon of a Fawn, which is just a fantastic work. Um, Debussy is definitely one I would strongly recommend. Um, his music is amazing, but you do need to uh, understand he is not writing in traditional one, four, five, seven, back to one. He has a lot of um, augmented chords. He has a lot of whole tone scales. So you want to be prepared to make sure your ears are very open to what you're about to hear because it is fantastic. So Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, Brahms, little bit of Debussy, you cannot go wrong. And can you imagine where we would be with pop music. Trust me, I can make a case, if you really wanted me to, that Motley Crue goes back to Bach. And that is coming, that is coming, I can promise. Um, but the Baroque time period, Bach set it on its ear. The classical time period, 
Mozart put it on its ear. And then the bridge between the classical and the romantic was Beethoven. And then of course the romantic time period, Brahms, which took us to the 20th century and impressionism with Debussy. The big four plus Debussy. Imagine where we would be musically if those four had chosen not to push the boundaries. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great week.